Blah. That's also like such an interesting time period because like it's almost two years before they reemerge as Danzig and mm. so much changes. Yeah. The sound changes, the songs change. Um, just like every, you know, everything kind of changes, especially there's like this period where they kind of like don't really have a guitar player and they're still, you know, it's that's just- another interesting one. That's another interesting one. I'm sure you've heard that John, how John Christ got the gig. Because he was friends with London. Well, his London's parents were friends or knew his parents. And John right. was – John was John actually came – when John came up from Maryland, he lived with London. Right. And this he, I knew. Was, he was a total – he came to a Voice of Doom rehearsal with London. It was me, London, John Christ, and our bass player at the time huh. in my car on our way to VOD rehearsal. Wow. And, and John was a total Tony Iommi. You know, with the mustache, right. and curly hair, and everything. <laughs> yeah, you know? and he right. was—you know—he was—he wasn't from Baltimore. He was kind of like from the outskirts, so he was kind of rural in a way. You know, totally cool guy, but just you could tell he just wasn't from around here. You know, right? Um, and yeah, I mean, that was that was the time where it was like, uh, you know, when John had gotten the gig, and then they started rehearsing. Um. But even prior to that, I remember, go, again, with Erie, going back to Erie, going over Erie's house, and, you know, Erie is in the bathroom mirror putting his putting makeup on. <laughs> and I'm like, you going out? And he's like, yeah, we, got, we have guitar player, we have guitarist auditions tonight in New York. And he was in full Erie Vaughn. Wow. You know, not just hanging out in his house, you know, with a basketball jersey. He was, he was, he was, he was going. He was putting it on, you know. And then, um, yeah, then that was a short period of time with John in London. And then I don't remember. Oh, John eventually moved in with Chuck and me and Heim's friend, Mike. Right. You've heard that story. Well, you, you guys got to hear the cool version of you and me. That... I didn't hear it. I wasn't oh. there for that. I wasn't there for that. Interesting. Yeah, Interesting. no, Heim heard that. I never heard it. So I can't, I can't corroborate it with him. That's crazy. I'm sorry, I cut you off. You were getting ready to say something. No, I no, I basically said it. it was just that that this is a very interesting time that, you know, in my in my scholarly studies of all this nerdy shit that like, you know, I find this to be a very interesting sort of period because they were when they left, we did a whole episode on this recently, but when they when they finished that show and they signed with Ruben, they were still kind of Sam Hain. You know, yeah, they were not, yeah. they was not, they had songs in the can that were going to be for a fourth album. And yeah. Danzig was toying with the, ah, that's right. I, fuck, I forgot to include that. Danzig was, was really toying with the idea of releasing. He's like, well, we're going to be doing the major label thing, but it's taking forever. So why don't we, we're going to, we're thinking about trying to release one more Sam Hain record. Yeah. He kind of knew it's from this interview. It sounded like. He kind of knew that that it was, you know, that the writing was on the wall for anything that was Sam Hain. Yeah. At the end of the day, November Coming Fire really is, you know, the 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 period, the punctuation on this exploration of what that was. Like you really yeah. in, in fact, in fact I said it, I forgot what I said the beginning of it was, but the end in my opinion is a song like, you know, to walk the night or, or November's fire. 
Mm. You know, like that's the period on Sam Hain, really. Like, it's just like, mm-hmm. where do you kind of go from there, mm-hmm. you know, uh, but, you know, sort of continue to evolve. And, you know, if anything, if what, what, what would Sam Hain, here's one for you. What would a Ruben produced Sam Hain sound like how they had they not changed the name to Danzig and sort of stripped everything down and whatnot? You just listen to possession on on uh Danzig one, right? My opinion, I mean, I got to learn a lot of about Rick I I knew who Rick Rubin was. Yeah. And I knew he was big in the rap scene, but I got to learn a lot about Rubin from Erie in those original rehearsals. You know, interesting. I was still friends with Erie. I was still, you know, right up until the short period before they moved to California, we were still friendly. And he would tell me, like, Rick Rubin's favorite instrument is the hi-hat. So he's real big on the hi-hat. Wow. You know, he he likes his leads off to one side. That's kind of the way he prefers them. He likes everything very trebly, believe it or not. He likes a lot of treble. He kind of likes everything flat. I'm sure you've heard it a million times. You know, he likes things to sound like he loves ACDC and he was producing the cult and, and stuff like that. And he kind of made the cult sound ACDC-ish. And that's kind of the way, you know, he wanted he wanted a guitar. He was very happy with John, even though, you know, I don't know if you've heard, like, John was so nervous for his audition that he actually, I think he actually, like, threw up or something. I did not you know, hear that. Yeah, I did he not went hear like that. he went like totally he went like totally off like uh he was like running around and he was nervous and he was like I think he like bit Rick Rubin or it could just be bullshit but who the hell knows <laughs> um but that was the way you know the way Rick preferred to work and you know all that shit about him laying down on a couch and looking up in the air and listening to it and making suggestions and how he wanted things the majority of that stuff I had heard firsthand from Erie because he was, he would go to, he would come to Zounds. They rehearsed at Zounds, which was literally, you know, um, a half a mile away from where Chuck and John were living at the time. And Glenn was in the next town and, you know, he would, and Erie would tell me, you know, Rick would say, all right, show me what you got. And he would just stand there with his arms folded and listen to it. Oh my God. And make suggestions. So in my opinion, a Rick Rubin produced Sam Hain album, I don't think would have sounded like Sam Hain. I think. Oh, it, you I just schooled the shit out of me, bro. <laughs> <laughs> because wow. Rick, because Rick, and you can see it later on when you listen to a band like, you know, the Four Horsemen. Okay. Who was another deaf American. I don't know if you've ever heard of them. I, I have not heard of them. Chuck Biscuit's brother. Dimwit, Dimwit. Was, yeah. in the, was in the Four Horsemen, and they, and that was a Rick Rubin produced album, as far as I remember. I know he was on it somewhere, if not maybe executive producer, but it has that sound to it. It has that straight ahead rock and roll. Rick had Rick at the time had a very signature sound, and you might not hear it unless you're kind of like listening for it. You know, I want he, right. he he would put his lead off to one side, and it would come out blaringly loud. He, that was kind of like his thing. And, and when Erie told me this and then I started listening to Rick Rubin produce stuff, I think that, yeah, that's, that's what I think. I think a Rick Rubin produced Sam Hain album probably would have sounded, sounded like the first dancing guy. But I know Rick was – Possession. Was, I, I know Rick was, was, 
was would lend a hand in arranging as well too because i'm sure you've heard that i the, can't the imagine Grimm demos as opposed to the way the songs yeah. came out on the first danzig of album. course he had input I, I couldn't imagine that rick rubin didn't have didn't uh shape i mean that's the, that's literally what it is it's like if there's like a, a, a machine, if Rick Rubin is a machine and there's a conveyor belt, it's like you watch Sam Hain go through the machine and they come out as Danzig. That's an and, excellent point. Right? Like you just – and you don't know what's going on inside, but that's what you just did. Through your game of telephone, through the secondhand information via Erie, because you soaked it up. And I'm sure Erie – you know, who knows if Erie remembers even saying all that stuff. But it's like because – but that's what's amazing. It's intact. Because you remembered, yeah, and now we know, and that's like that is that was like you're blowing my mind <laughs> with with all these little revelations of just like how he came in and he's like, look, you got let's strip away the old band, and Glenn's like, no, 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 Erie Erie stays with us, and yeah, you know, just like all these different things that we kind of you know know from interview stuff, but then like the actual mechanics of how the sound changes. Yeah. You're yeah. just, you're blowing my mind right now. Well, you know, I know that we, I mean, I, I've known Pete Marshall a long time. Damien. Great guy. Yep. Great guy. I interviewed him on this channel. Great guy. Um, and as a matter of fact, we just recently uh, did some work together. I was, re- we were, was recording some new stuff with Electric Frankenstein and Pete actually came in to, That's rehearse, awesome. to rehearse with us on the bass. And, um, oh, he did. Oh, did he really? Yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Oh my god, I, dude, and, Electric Frankenstein with Pete on bass. <laughs> Fuck yeah, dude. That's great. So I know, I know, Rick Rubin was looking like I think John Christ was the perfect mold for Rick. What Rick Rubin was, was right. Looking he wanted to do. that. Yeah, he, he wanted that. He wanted a guy who, and again, I've maybe had a handful of conversations with John in my life, but you know, the John Christ coming up from rural Maryland with the perm and the mustache yeah, to what he became was he, he was such a great guitar player and he was willing to do anything to make it because he was hungry, you know, and, right. and you know, his image, the way his, you know, they had the sandwich, you know, the, the, the bookends with John and Erie and the long hair and the mustache, the mutton chops, the whole nine mm-hmm. yards. You know, he was the perfect. Very Sabbath, very Sabbath-ish of them. Yeah. To sort of do yeah, that. Yeah, like a geezer too. Tony thing. Yeah. Yeah. And, that was, and he was perfect. And he, he could play the shit out of the guitar. And Rick could kind of steer him in the direction of yep. the way he wanted him to. As opposed to a guitar player coming in with his own agenda. You know. Now, what's interesting Two things. All right. Now I remember what I wanted to interject the first time too. So you're talking about Pete. And I asked Pete, we, when I was talking to Pete, I had Pete on the show and he said, he's like, yeah, like when I got, when I left Sam Hain, when I was, you know, when I was, when, when I was out, he said it took him two years to figure out how to like replay the guitar, you know, normally or whatever because he, he just quit call. playing i didn't know that no no not that he quit playing just that he that playing that the guitar oh because he had dumped he had dumbed it down basically for saying no no not not dumbed it down but that, that just like because i said pete what makes sam hain different from other music and this is what he said to me and again not a musician everybody we all know this just saying you're the musician actually maybe you could speak to it or not speak to it um 
he said that it's not rooted in the blues. That's that's what he that's said. That's a to good me. point. That's right. Point. So yeah. you're doing. There's a lot of angular stuff. Everything's like unconventionally. Yeah. The hooks, like you know, what's funny. Sam Hain has hooks in it, but yet it's like angular and weird. It's kind of like the Pixies, actually. The Pixies are like that too. I had heard an interview with Pete where he said that when I used the frame phrase "dumbed it down," was that he was more. That really wasn't. It wasn't in his natural wheelhouse to to play that way. He kind of like adapted to it. But, you know, Pete is a very old school guy when it comes to, you know, equipment and, and stuff that he likes and listens to. And, you know, of right. course we know yeah, it was, he's you know, a gearhead. He had a, he had a career with Erie with uh with Iggy, Iggy Pop. Yeah. You know, so so I remember him saying that it was at, he actually had to play it it was less um what's the word I'm looking for? It was it was less uh challenging for him to play that kind of stuff. What because Sam Hain? The Sam Hain kind of stuff. Huh. Le- not maybe not less challenging, but less. Um, it was a, it was it was a challenge for him to adapt to Glenn's style, but it wasn't what he was used to and what he felt comfortable with. Maybe that's maybe that's a maybe that right. I you know all I know is is that he he was just basically like he said it wasn't rooted in the blues and he said that which is absolutely took, correct. Yeah, just that that it's like such a weird like what a weird thing to say because when you think about rock is rooted in the blues that's what it, it everything you know everything's rooted from the blues so it's like it's like not it like doesn't come from that kind of way and yet at the same time you know there are certain sam Hain songs that i think would definitely like you could you could imagine i think one time i was imagining duran duran doing like synth covers <laughs> of certain sam Hain songs and that it would work <laughs> I forgot what episode that was, but we, we came up with some pretty good ones where it would kind of like, <laughs> you know, uh, kind of work out, you know, um, in a way that 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 makes sense. You know, if you could imagine, because I mean, Glenn is using like, for instance, when Glenn is playing drums on November Coming Fire, that half of the drums that he's playing are not even actually drums. They're like these. It's like a drum machine. Mm-hmm. He's doing drum machine on it, you know, mm-hmm. and you could definitely hear that on the final descent. Sam Hain Grimm demos for sure. You know, it's like, funny. It's just ridiculous. You know, when, when, when I, if I sit down with a guitar and I'm like, you know, just playing, because every once in a while I'll just do it. I'm sure millions of people do it. Sit down and play along with, with one of their records. You know, Glenn, he, you know, he would write in a, what I would call it, he would write in a box. You know, yeah. This, this song is in D and it's going to, ch- it's going to be in this box and it's going to all circle around D. And then this one is in, you know, C and it's going to circ, it's going to, you know, circle around C, you know, like, especially on walk among us, you know, very, very, you know, much kind of structured in that way. But then, you know, a song like Sam Hain, as opposed to, um, the howl or, uh, even his re his redo of horror business, they're all kind of, they're not in that box. You know, and and right. sometimes sometimes the, the the way the song progresses or the where he goes when he's writing the song on guitar is not what you would expect, which makes it interesting to listen to. It definitely makes it sound different, but I could see where Pete would say it's not rooted in the blues because it doesn't have natural progression chord changes. It goes somewhere else where you might not expect it, 
and right. that you know, but that was what that's what Glenn was. And was that's going yeah, to it's do. like I'm going to do that. I, I that's what I, I'm going to do the anti thing of whatever it is. And then right. Ruben comes in, and Ruben's like, no, 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 no. Let's. Yeah, you're taking it, but we're taking it back to the basics here now. And you know what? Perhaps in in fact, what did Pete in? Here's a weird thing, thing observation to make. Perhaps it's even almost Glenn's fault. What did Pete in because Ruben's watching them on the stage at the show that you're at, and he's going, ah, this this guitar and this guitar playing, ah, this isn't going to work for what I'm thinking of, you know, like almost that, like let's start over with someone, you know, like John Christ because of everything that you just said, technical jargon, whatever. But that's Glenn's design, not Pete's design. But Pete yeah. still no, becomes that's, the that's casualty. True. That's true. You know, Pete. Pete may have fallen into that well yeah for all we know in hindsight i mean we don't know because he might he never got that chance right you know but pete was pete was you know technically better than he was because again like i said i had seen i'd heard interviews with him where he said he actually had to take a step back and like i said dumb it down to play that Mm -hmm. type of stuff he was capable of doing better but he didn't have a chance to because that's not the way it was glenn's you know idea this is how i want it to be every you know Every drum beat, every guitar note, this is how I wanted it. And whether it was carried out that way live, it was somewhat sloppy anyway. You know, you're going crazy and you're not right. as precise, right. you know, and stuff like that. But that's an interesting point. I never thought of that. I'd want, I'd be curious as to what uh, how Pete felt about that. And then what's – and then here's the other thing too that, you know, you, know, you get – then John Christ comes in and – you know, he, he's, he's malleable, as you said, which is something that, you know, they always kind of liked. And then Ruben falls out of the picture. Yeah. And it's like we're take they're taking that, but they're still building on top of that Ruben template. Yeah. You know, like he laid the foundation. Right. Ruben laid a foundation that Glenn continued to build out. Until he gets to Danzig Five, which is like fuck everything. Yeah, yeah. He's like fuck everything. Which is which? Which is totally on brand is, for Danzig. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. No. I, I, yeah. I mean, he wanted to do something the same way he wanted to do something different with Sam Hain as opposed to the Misfits. Now in Danzig Five, I'm gonna I'm gonna switch it up a little bit. Right. And and you know, I give him whether I like those records or people like those records or not. You know, as a songwriter, as a you know musician, I can totally respect wanting to do wanting to yeah, color bring, outside the fresh lines ground. for a little bit. Absolutely, sure. Um, I'm okay. I, I I agree. I fully agree with that. And you know, I've listened to those records, and they're interesting. I they're not particularly my cup of tea. I what's think your favorite? What's your favorite Danzig album? Oh my god, I'm gonna have to go with one. Like straight up, even though you know I love. Here's the thing about two. Two kind of falls off for me towards the end. Like, you know, um, I'm not a big fan of, even though it's a, I know this is a popular staple, I'm not a big fan of Devil's Play thing. I'm not a big fan of not a girl. I'm not a big fan of girl. Love, blood, and tears, you know, but the, the first side of Danzig 2 is like immaculate and unstoppable. But as a full, whole, cohesive album, mm-hmm. Danzig 1 straight through, nothing touches it. It's just, it's just phenomenal. I love Danzig three too. I can listen. Those are three three albums I can put on all the way through. But there's only yeah. one 
where I'm like, holy crap, every song's a hit. Now I remember the other thing I wanted to say to you, which was this, to, 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 to just finish off the Pete and Pete and John Christ thing. Then Danzig plays their first show. And I'm sure you've heard that tape. The City Gardens. Oh, you were there. So there you go. So if you've li- you should re re-listen to a tape of the show if you you know want to revisit it or whatever. But what's interesting, I, I this was this is my opinion as a listener to a document, you know, thirty I've heard I've heard your take on that. I saw you, you talked about it with, with uh yeah. With Heim. Yeah. About how he was he was kind of singing the Danzig songs in a Sam Haynes style. But not just that. Yes, yes, one hundred percent. That it's the same principle as Sam Hain in March of '84. The, they're not quite. They, the, the songs album aren't isn't finished yet. The no. songs aren't finished yet, and yeah. he's still singing with that. He, they're right in the middle of that Ruben makeover. Yeah, like the, yeah, yeah, He's yeah, still yeah, yeah. singing gutturally. Yeah. And but, but what the the point that I wanted to key on is not what Danzig's doing, but that John Christ. And again, God bless John Christ. I didn't even think of that. God bless John Christ. God, uh, God bless John Christ, man. Like, you know, I love John Christ as a guitar player, but he is not doing those Sam Haynes songs as well as Damien. No, you know, that's it's that's funny. my point. It's you know what? It's funny that you bring that up because, you know, I was there. So, right. I, you... re- I remember <laughs> I remember. Because the the album wasn't written yet, so they didn't have a lot of material, you know. They so did a lot of Sam Hain. They songs. did a lot of Sam Hain songs, and yeah, as much of a of a, a a great band as Chuck and John were, I prefer those songs played by the Sam Hain. It it didn't. It I agree with you. I I always thought that was odd. It's almost like a. It's almost like because like people a Sam say Hain that cover band. Well, oh, I was going to say that, you know, because Chuck and, and John are technically the last lineup of Sam Hain, that Danzig's first show is technically or in a weird kind of nerdy, semantic, we're sitting here really picking up the tiniest of minutia ways that it's the last Sam Hain show. Yeah. Because yeah, of the sun. Interesting I mean, they open the set with Sam Hain. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They play Black Dream. Yeah. And you hear John Christ can't grasp these songs, but then he plays the new dancing material and it's yeah. like, he's on fire. I mean, yeah. he's absolutely on fire, but you give those songs to Pete and Pete, he knows what to do right yeah. away with them. Yeah. So well, that also could be that, you know, Pete had played them for so many years. They were very, they were very, um, they hadn't gelled yet as a unit, you know, Ooh, that, Danzig, uh, Danzig or at, at, no, at that city garden show. Yeah. They they didn't really have the chemistry. They didn't have the chemistry yet. They weren't tight yet. They weren't tight yet. It was it was still fairly new. They hadn't been together for that long, and you know they may have written the Danzig songs together, but Glenn, you know, saying okay, we're gonna play you know six Sam Hain songs, so learn them, and they had great. Played, po- they hadn't played them for it. very long. John, you nailed it. I think you just <laughs> nailed it on the head. And then fast forward. To Irvine Meadows in '92, and they're doing "Left Hand Black." That 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 video that yeah. that pops up, and they are just the tightest band. Like they're just they're reading, they're telepathically reading each other's minds on that yeah. stage, and they're just the the most well oiled machine. This this perfect unit that just knows every nook and cranny of what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, they, well, the 
the chemistry was there, the the, the yeah. repetitiveness, and, and they grew into a band together, almost like when you see the first Sam Haynes show at Rock Hotel, and then you see the first Danzig show. Even though the first Danzig show was better, yeah, you know, it was it was still the origin of it, and they they didn't quite have it yet. 